So at this time we have the opportunity to practice mental cultivation, to practice having mindfulness, and to practice establishing a constant present of, presence of mindfulness in our minds. So this mind is an element that knows sense impressions. It's a knowing element of nature that knows the various sense impressions of body, uh, nose, ear, tongue, eye, uh, and mind as they arise. And knowing these sense impressions, then one typically feels liking and disliking. One feels aversion, fear, grasping, uh, greed, and delusion. And this uh, comes and it goes, arises and passes away. So when there's a sense impression in the mind, then the mind is uh, deluded in this. And then the obstructions of mind, the chilesas, uh, arise along with proliferation. And this creates a sense of me, of you, of theirs and them. And the mind proliferates in this way. And the mind proliferates in terms of liking, such as I want that, I want to be that, I want to have that, I want to gain that. And this is uh, liking the sense impression. And then similarly, if the mind does, feels disliking towards the sense impression, then one feels, oh, I don't want that, I don't want to be that, I don't want to meet with that, and so on. And we can call this uh, tanha, craving, or upadana, attachment. And the mind just chases after these sense impressions all the time. So one must uh, practice and cultivate one's mind to have the mind be able to know sense impressions in time as they arise, as they enter the mind. Lumpucha taught a simile for this. He taught that if you take a house and the owner of the house has just one chair in the main uh, room of the house and then various visitors uh, constantly come and go from this house and if the owner of the house is sitting in that one seat then all the various visitors do not have the opportunity to sit down because there's just one chair. So this is, then uh, the visitors just have to stand and then they, they go on their way. So this is the mind that has mindfulness. Mindfulness takes care of the mind. And with mindfulness established, it is like the owner of the house sitting in that one seat. And then the various sense impressions are the, are the visitors that uh, can only stand temporarily in the house and then leave again. So this is when the sense impressions don't enter fully into the mind uh, due to the presence of mindfulness. And this is something that's very important. And if one does not have mindfulness established, if there is a lack of care, a lack of restraint, a lack of composure, then the mind just chases after sense impressions all day long. So one must be careful and take care of the mind, be careful with the mind. 
in the various postures of sitting, standing, walking and lying down, uh, one should look at the mind and see that when a sense impression contacts the mind, then liking or disliking arises. So have mindfulness in time to not get caught in liking or disliking. Have the mind without liking and disliking be in the middle, be in the middle with mindfulness and wisdom. See sense impressions arise and pass away. Feelings arise and pass away. And this is the way to seeing the Dhamma, to understanding the Dhamma. So one feels liking and disliking comes and goes. Or one feels disliking and this disliking also comes and goes. And if the mind is lost in this, then there's a sense of self that it's uh, me who is liking or me who is disliking. And the sense of self is just there all the time. So we should, one should understand that this is what happens. And one understands that all dhammas arise due to cause. And liking and disliking also arise due to causes. And with the cessation of these causes, then this is the cessation of the arising of liking and disliking as well. And this is what Venerable Sariputta understood when he listened to the Dhamma from Venerable Asaji, the first uh, ennobling Dhamma that Venerable Sariputta was able to encounter in his last lifetime, that all things uh, have a cause, they all arise and pass away, and there's no self. And Venerable Sariputta saw clearly that there is no self there. However, in the beginning, we do have a sense of self. We feel that this knower is ours, is me, is mine, is I. So when liking and disliking arises, then have mindfulness. Contemplate liking and disliking as uncertain, as unsure. And thinking that this knower is a me and a mine and a self this is normal in the beginning, so don't worry about this because uh, one will simply feel this way at the beginning. And then as one practices, one can let go of this feeling that the knower is a self and one can see it arise and pass away. This knowing of objects uh, comes and goes. And thinking that the knower is a self, this is simply the mind in a state of delusion not seeing uh, clearly, which is avicca or ignorance, not knowing. But then as one practices, then knowing avicca arises. And in the, in the end, one sees that dhammas are simply dhammas. They're not a me, not a you, not a I or a theirs. This is something that is subtle. So in the beginning, one sees the mind is lost and one can contemplate what is one, what is the object that one is liking or disliking. And one can see that this liking and disliking often arises with regard to material form, such as one's physical body. <clears throat> so when the body is strong, uh, one can get lost and deluded in this. 
for instance, when one's body is strong and one is walking, one feels a liking for this because one doesn't feel much discomfort or constraint or pain and one feels liking with this experience of a strong body. Similarly, with a strong body, one sits, one feels at ease, one feels relaxed. And in all the various four postures of sitting, standing, walking, and lying down, when the body is strong and there's no pain or discomfort, then one feels liking for this. This is a pleasant experience, and therefore liking arises. And if the mind is deluded, one doesn't contemplate this experience as impermanent, as uh, something that is ever-changing. And then later on, uh, problems arise in the body or the brain. And whether in the body or the brain, these various issues and sicknesses and illnesses can cause the body to be unable to move, unable to uh, do things as it would when it was strong. And this is experienced as dukkha, stressful or suffering. So in the beginning, one is lost in pleasure and lost in liking. And then when dukkha, when stress arises, then one knows that this is stressful, that this is dukkha. And one sees that the nature of all sankharas, all conditioned formations, is just like this. The sankharas change according to causes. So liking the physical body, for instance, one can uh, look at one's teeth in the mirror and if the teeth are white, one may feel liking and think that they're beautiful. And one doesn't contemplate, uh, one doesn't contemplate the teeth thinking, well, are they really beautiful? And this is the mind getting lost one sees something that's not beautiful and thinks that it's beautiful. So one teaches the mind uh, to see that it's not beautiful. For instance, taking a piece of hair and putting it into a glass of water, one can ask oneself, uh, is this something that's attractive or beautiful any longer? And one can look at the various uh, bodily fluids like uh, lymph or pus or blood and uh, looking at the teeth clearly and even looking at various foods when uh, various foods enter the mouth then are they beautiful any longer and then chewing on uh, meat eating a piece of meat then how is it is it beautiful any longer after one has chewed it and one can see that these things change and the appearance of the physical body and the appearance of food as well, they're uh, anicca, impermanent, ever-changing. So one sees the asubha, the not beautiful nature of these things and one teaches the mind to see clearly the not beautiful nature of these things. So if the mind gets lost in thinking that these things are beautiful, then just think to oneself that this beauty is uncertain, it's impermanent, and contemplating in this way, the mind can become peaceful. 
if one sees the various parts of the body, such as hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, or skin, if one sees them as beautiful, then contemplate right there. <clears throat> if one dies and one has no breath and there's no blood flow, then the body becomes cool, has no fire element any longer. And a corpse with no fire element in this way is cool like a piece of wood or a rock. And this is normal and natural for the body to become cool like this after death. And if a living human comes along and touches such a cool uh, corpse, one feels like, oh, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to, I don't want to have this experience of the cold or cool body. And after this point, the corpse then uh, becomes swollen and can have uh, black liquid oozing out of it and various maggots and worms feed on the body. And so in the beginning, one can use thought in this way uh, to bring up these thoughts in the mind, to train the mind. And one can see as the body begins to rot, then maggots uh, cover all over the whole body and the body is rotting with, the, with this dark liquid and the maggots covering over it. And the bacteria are decomposing the body as well. And this gives rise to a strong smell and one feels like one doesn't want to be near the corpse or, and doesn't want to touch it as well. And this is a, one of the reasons that it is traditional to burn a corpse. Um, one feels like the bacteria can be dangerous or there's a, a lot of bacteria in the body. So one burns it to get rid of this. So therefore being born, we all must die and one can arouse these thoughts of seeing the human corpse as something that's not beautiful. And one can think as well that when this corpse, if it's left, um, left outside, then various animals will come and eat the flesh off the body. And then this leaves just the bones uh, attached together with ligaments. Then these ligaments also degrade and the bones uh, become scattered. Then these bones go from uh, covered with leftover blood until the blood and bits of flesh go away and then the bones are left in a dirty brown state. Then the bones become white. Then the bones crumble into dust and dirt. And so we can see that this entire heap of a human body simply returns to the earth and becomes uh, dirt and dust again. So contemplate all this as impermanent, ever-changing, and doing this, the mind uh, can become peaceful. And if the mind is not peaceful, then contemplate this again and come back to this contemplation again. Then the mind, uh, can become peaceful in this way, seeing clearly into this not beautiful nature of the physical form. Doing this, the mind feels at ease, feels collected in samadhi. And once one has done this, then seeing the breath 
can be very easy. Um, something that feels not constraining and not not discomfortable, discomfort any longer because the mind has already achieved a level of peace from the contemplation of the non-beautiful nature of physical things. So if there's liking in the mind, for instance, for a visual form, and then the mind can see that this physical form is something not beautiful and sees that it's just something of nature. So whatever the mind is stuck in, whatever the mind gets lost in, contemplate how one can cure that problem or how one can fix that issue in the mind through uh, appropriate contemplation, matching the medicine to treat the appropriate illness that the mind is afflicted with in that moment. In this case, the illness would be the mind that is liking a uh, visual image, and one can cure that with the medicine of uh, seeing the not beautiful nature of that same uh, visual image in the mind. And one can have liking arise with a beautiful form, and if mindfulness arises in time, then uh, one sees the liking clearly, and if one is able to do this, then one actually doesn't have to do much at all. There's no need to contemplate at this point because the mind can just come back to stillness. So when mindfulness is able to arise in time with liking and disliking, and the mind uh, is beyond the need to contemplate in this, on this occasion, because the mind can simply return to stillness because mindfulness has done the work of seeing clearly into liking and disliking. This is the mind that believes uh, that things are uncertain. There's no need to explain much to the mind because the mind already believes that things are unsure and impermanent. There was one occasion where Lumpu Cha was teaching one lay person and Lumpu Cha closed the meditation hall to all other people just to teach this one layperson. And I was able to follow him in to listen to his discourse to this person. And in the course of this uh, talk, Lumpu Cha was teaching this person that the mind that is able to believe that things are uncertain and impermanent, then then there's not much left to do at this point. There is no need to do much else because the mind is not getting lost in liking or disliking. So when a sense impression arises and then one feels liking, disliking, or attraction, aversion, or delusion, then contemplate and know that this is something that's uncertain, it's impermanent, it's not a me, not a mind, not a self. And this is the mind that's in the middle, a mind that's not pushed around by liking or disliking. And this is a practice that is correct. And this is a, the fastest way to practice as well. So be restrained in one's eating of food. Eat, eat enough, don't eat uh, too much or too little. And similarly with sleep, sleep enough. 
uh, not too much. And if you sleep too little as well, then one will feel too sleepy and tired, excessively sleepy and tired. So in terms of sleep, perhaps five hours or five and a half hours can be enough. And then if one has samadhi, collectedness of mind, then four hours can be enough. So have effort to develop your mind. And when you practice in this way often, then, and you do this at all times, then when sense impressions arise, then you will know them as they arise. One will be sitting in, this, in the one seat in the, in the room of the house, having mindfulness established and knowing sense impressions as they come and go. So this having of mindfulness, having a lot of mindfulness, this is a Dhamma quality that's very important. So for monastics, upon waking, the monastics engage in the monastic routine of morning chanting, evening chanting, alms round, uh, chore time, and so on. And one also practices uh, speaking little, speaking quietly having respect and having respect for effort in the practice and to seek out solitude in order to develop the mind. And this is because life is uncertain, life is unsure. We can say that if uh, on average people die at the age of 80 and one is 40 years old now, this means one's, one's life is halfway over. Or if one is 50, then one just has 30 years left. If one is 60, one has 20 years left, and so on. One's life becomes shorter and shorter every day, and there's not long left. So see that we're here in this world for not very long at all. Wherever we go in the world, uh, anywhere we go, we're not going to be there forever. So contemplate like this. Make effort to see the Dhamma clearly to see the truth clearly in one's mind, to establish a true refuge for one's mind, and to grow a sense of confidence and warmth in the heart. So practice and develop one's mind to do the morning and evening uh, chanting, to practice devotion to the Buddha and to praise the Buddha the Buddha who had such great incomparable spiritual virtues and to also praise the Dhamma and the Sangha. And in order to even engage in this praising of the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, and even just to have the chance to practice that, this means that one already has a spiritual development that one has cultivated already, just to have this chance to develop the mind and for monastics, the lay people have sacrificed everything in order to support us. And it's not that lay people cannot see the Dhamma for themselves as well. They are able to see the Dhamma. Although lay people have many, many duties to attend to, they can still practice. And this is something that is achievable. And doing this, one does the morning and evening chanting one listens to the Dhamma attentively, and one gathers one's mind in samadhi, in collectedness, 
and one's body feels light, one's mind feels light and at ease, and one sees clearly into convention, rapture and pleasure arise, and one sees the Dhamma. And this is something that is achievable for lay people as well. Wisdom arises, insight arises, and one day this can simply occur. One sees that all things arise and pass away. So this is something that one is, one is able to see, one is able to do. And one sees that all things in this world, all beings are running to old age, sickness and death. And seeing this clearly with uh, wisdom, one feels a great equanimity and great peace in the heart. So this seeing of the Dhamma is a true miracle. Seeing the, the truth of the teachings of the Buddha is something that's truly miraculous. So we have a good chance here to practice, to develop our minds. So be intent, be sincere, see the mind, look after the mind, cultivate to have mindfulness always present and don't miss this opportunity, not even, uh, or cultivate mindfulness to be a constant presence in the mind. Then one day one will be able to see the Dhamma so practice this training the mind, studying the Dhamma. And today is the 1st of September, 2020. The monastic rains retreat is about two months over now, meaning there's just one month left. So we're close to the end of the rains retreat already. So may you be determined in your practice.